Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Well, my name is Sean Wadiemi. Most people know me as Sean, but I prefer Sean, if you can pronounce that. <laughs> This conversation is not what my listeners are usually accustomed to, but I thought we'd just um, throw in a wrench and make this a little different today. Well, that's $300 worth of work. Alternatively, if it was over the weekend, that was three days of leisure that arguably is still worth $100 a day. You could have just paid a professional $300 and you would have known it was right able to pay my overhead and, and, and feed my family. And if it begins to cost me more to do that, then I'm going to have to raise my prices. The amount of work that I do, and, and many, many professionals do on taxes, is wasted. You mentioned minimum wage. I was, I was trying not to go there, but I think, I'm going, I think I want to go there. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. Introduce your host, Sean Adeyemi, President and Senior Financial Planner at SA Capital Advisors. I was just having a conversation with a client, uh, and I was actually trying to help her get a mortgage. I'm like, I need your taxes. Like, oh, I haven't done my taxes in two years. I'm like, why not? Because I like to do it myself. I'm like, why would you want to do it yourself? Well, they were charging me too much. I'm like, yeah, but that's because they know what they're doing. It's okay. I can figure it out myself. And even though I'm not a tax professional, I do know quite a bit because... Um, yeah, you, you get some exposure to yeah, it. Our I mean, world's, you look at tax returns to some extent. To maybe. some extent when I'm doing the planning, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at T1 generals and whatnot. So she completed it and I looked at it and I'm like... That's not right. <laughs> and that's for me as... I'm not a tax professional. <laughs> I'm not, but yeah. I could see a lot of errors in it, just like you said. And why try to do all these things well, yourself? And the worst problem is if you've put errors in there that make you get a refund that you didn't deserve, right now, chances are the government's going to figure out that you're just, I'll say, incompetent and they're not going to you know, go after you for fraud. But it's still, they're going to turn around and be like, oh, by the way, now you owe us $1,000. And they're going to reassess you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get reassessed. Like, chances are, like, the stuff that I saw, you know, where it was like, simple example, was like, the question was, how much RSP contribution did you have? But then it was like, how much unused RSPs did you have? Not realizing, they don't understand, the person put in the number in both categories. So it was, let's say, $20,000 of contribution room remaining. And the next, and then it was saying, how much did you have unused from last year? Well, they're like, oh, that's 20000 as well. Mm. But, but that actually is saying that you contributed 20000 last year. Last year. But, but you didn't you did claim not. it. Now you're trying to claim it. Claiming 20000 in RSPs you didn't put in is a bad thing. But again, I'm not being critical of the individual who made that mistake. Because I, I read it and I was like, I know why you did that. Not you're an idiot. I went, I know, I literally was like, oh, duh. I can understand why you thought it was saying something it wasn't. Um, and so do I think that part of the problem is people are getting charged? You know, if someone's got to pay $200 to file their taxes and they're like, and my refund was 300. Well, I'd rather have all the 300. Fine. I can understand that. Maybe you need to seek out a different option. Maybe you can find someone who'll do your taxes for 50 bucks. 
and then it's worth your while. It's worth their while. Because like realistically, doing someone's tax return that has T4s only, it'll take me 20 minutes. Because it's just easy to input the numbers. It's just, yeah. It's, but part of it too is I did their taxes last year. I've got all their address. I got their all their information. I just roll forward the file. Boom. Drop it in. Done. But if someone's got something stupid complex, like they retired, they have this pension that's happening, you know, uh, they got an inheritance or they had this weird RSP rollover from their father who passed away. Like they cast out some RSPs because of a three month period where they had no money or whatever yeah, the case is. Ex exactly. There's these nuances that go like, how do I do this? And, or for, for example, RSP first time home buyers. Are you filling out the paperwork even properly? When you go to, because you have to contribute that back, right? You pull out yeah, money from your RSPs, years. then you got to pay it back over 15 years. Do you know how to fill that in? Do you know where that is? Well, but I'm making RSP contributions. Yes, you are. But you have, but to, you have to you have to designate a portion of it as a payback from the previous yeah. year. And, and I mean, I don't want to get in the weeds too much for the listener, but the idea being like, we're having a little bit of like inside baseball here because we're like, oh, I can see the mistakes that are going to happen here because you're uneducated on these things. And I wouldn't expect you to be. Again, you could spend three days trying to research Google, watch YouTube videos, and maybe still make all the mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, what was three out, three days of work worth for you? Or three days, like if you make, let's say, 100 bucks a day, you know, in an eight-hour shift. Well, that's $300 worth of work. Alternatively, if it was over the weekend, that was three days of leisure that arguably is still worth $100 a day. You could have just paid a professional 300 bucks and you would have known it was right. Yeah. And you wouldn't have had any stress. And whatever your refund was would have been done. But again, like, I think part of the problem is that we, like, society as a whole has a skewed understanding of prices. Let's talk about that. Let's pivot a bit here. Um, we're just going to go off different rabbit trails, but... Yeah. This is just a bonus episode, anyway. So, <laughs> I uh, most of the park, most of the sh uh, other episodes we've had has been very philosophical. But I want to get technical on some of these terms for our listeners. Okay. And so, you an accountant, but you also have a very um, economic driven, yeah. economics driven mindset. So, okay. So, with with regards to prices, um, the best thing to to think about is. I'll, I'll contrast the historical view um, and with what the view is today. So historically, they had this view of what's called the labor theory of value. Um, it's actually embedded within socialism, i.e. Marxism. Uh, and, and the father of economics is deemed Adam Smith. I don't know if that's familiar to you or your listeners, but he, he still kind of espoused this idea of labor theory of, of value, which basically says like the cost to produce something is essentially the, or, or prices are determined by the aggregate of the labor input into it. Now, if you know anything about like how today's economy works with machines, you can kind of inherently see that there's a problem with that. Yeah. Because, because like, there's what about no capital? Capital. Exactly. Right? Um, and so the better way of looking at it is, or, or the, the theory today um, is it's called the marginal theory of value. And, and you can think about it from both the producer and the supplier's perspective. Um, for the, or sorry, the producer and the purchaser. For the purchaser, price, if, if I'm unwilling to buy something at a given price, 
that means that I consider the value of that good to be less than, less what, than the price. The price, yeah. Right? Um, if if the price of water is a dollar and I'm willing to buy it, that means I consider the the my sorry, that can that means I consider the pre, the bottle of water worth more than a dollar. Now maybe it's a dollar and one penny, but it's worth more than the dollar in my hand. So I'm so willing to I'm, give up the dollar. Because I'm getting more value. Exactly. Um how the cost comes into this is is from the perspective of if it's going to cost me more than the price customers are willing, i.e. the value I'm providing to customers, then I don't even enter the market. Because then I'm Because I'm going to lose money. Lose money the price is time. determined by the demand. It has nothing to do with the cost. Cost only says, is it worth me entering the market? If I can produce for a cost lower than the price the market is willing to pay, then I enter the market. But people have this perception, like, think about it from a wage perspective. I'm willing to pay an employee based on the value they contribute to my business. If they contribute, if with minimum wage, if... if I have an employee who's only going to contribute $5 an hour, but I have to pay him 15 Then it's not worth it for me not, to... I, now, maybe I hire him in the short term, but in the long term, I try to find a better solution. I fire him and hire the guy who's worth $20 an hour. I'm better off paying a guy $20 an hour to do $20, $20 of value an hour than or I am paying more a than guy... That at least. Well, but, but my point is, I be I'm as a entrepreneur... I'm willing to pay someone $20 an hour who's going to contribute $20 or more, more in value than I am willing to pay a guy 15 to do $5 worth of value. So the low-skilled, low-experienced uh, worker has to fight to get a job where he's actually contributing less than what he's getting paid. So this is where I would say people look at it going like, but the, cost, the employer, or sorry, the employee needs more to live. That's a that's a fair statement. But your solution of raising minimum wage is ignorant to how prices are determined. I in our podcast, I talked me and Darnell talked, I was like, why aren't we talking about the cause? Why aren't we talking about costs being too high? We're only talking about the revenue's not high enough. Well, there's two parts to that equation. There's revenue and cost. If revenue minus cost is a negative number, maybe the cost is too high. So, I mean, that's a the, rabbit the, trail. The, I'm this, sure maybe this, some of your it, listeners will be like, but minimum wage is a good thing. <sighs> uh, see, that's why you mentioned minimum wage. I was, I was trying not to go there, but I think I want to <laughs> go there because... Feel free to give me pushback. <laughs> no, no, I want to go there because the whole thing with the minimum wage, uh, I don't think minimum wage solves the problem. I agree. Because... Because uh, the true minimum wage is zero. Meaning you don't have a job. Exactly. Exactly. And I think raising arbitrarily raising the minimum wage, what it does is it doesn't actually put more money in the pockets of people. It does, but it doesn't put more value because the cost to purchase things just goes up because employers or um, business owners always find a way. Like for me to stay in business, I have to be profitable. I have to be mm -hmm. able to pay my overhead and, and, and feed my family. And if it begins to cost me more to do that, then I'm going to have to raise my prices or I'm going to have to lower my expenses. Part of that is either I lower the hours of my employees or I cut off benefits like some mm -hmm. some franchises yeah, did. Tim Hortons. Like Tim Hortons. Or I 
hire part time instead of full time, so yeah. I don't have to pay benefits. Or I get a summer jobs grant from the government who subsidizes the minimum wage. So at the end of the day, does it actually? <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, does it actually help anybody? Well, see, I mean, at the end of the like, I think for me, there's so much around economic principles that people are ignorant to. So is your motivation for helping people who can't afford to live good? Sure. But we're not arguing about the motivation. And that's part of the problem with the conversations on these topics. People are like, well, the purpose of the minimum wage is to help the poor. Okay, but if it doesn't actually do that, then you're not really helping them. But but there's no conversation around the effectiveness of your solution. It's it's motivations help the poor. Well, why why again? I go back to why are costs so high? Well, guess what? In Ontario, we have the highest energy costs. Why is that? Well, because the government signed green energy contracts that they thought were going to be profitable, but in the end, actually turned out to make costs go higher than they should have. And and this is the problem with government. I call it picking winners in technology before they're economically viable. Right, so green energy again. I'm, I'm, I know I'm, we're, it's it's great, but it's not economically viable just yet. And, and part of the biggest reason is because of batteries. It's it's the ability to store the energy, because green energy sources are highly variable. If I had the ability to smooth out the variability in the energy source by storing the energy with high time frames or high and much higher capacities at low cost, then green energy would be viable. But it's expensive to do that. But but see, what government has done is they've said, oh, we think solar panels and batteries are the solution. But maybe they are, maybe they aren't. The problem is when you subsidize something like this, I'll call it innovation before. So subsidizing innovation before it becomes viable. viable, you actually promote development over innovation. So you do, you promote people from spending more money on innovating till they get the economically sorry you you disincentivize further innovation that, that, yeah. you deincentivize further innovation and you incentivize developing it today while it's still economically unviable. So it's not that the government inter, like funding of innovation is inherently bad. It's I don't think it, it is. Skews the incentives. Mm -hmm. So it has un, this is the thing that we talk about on our mine and Darnell's podcast on the Six Sense Report. It's you have unintended consequences that actually circumvent your intended consequences. That's why going back to the minimum wage conversation, I believe if the government really wanted to help the poor, they would increase the minimum allowance. I'll let I'm you assuming you're talking about taxes, right? Yeah. The minimum, right? So the first 10 grand, and I've said this too, first 10 grand in taxes is tax-free. Well, if you really want to help the poor... Rather than making minimum wage higher and, and basically saying the owners are like, you're arbitrarily saying the owner's making too much money. He needs to share more with his with, with with employees. employees. Because as I already said, what's the price theory? Price theory is based on value. So you said, oh, costs are going to go up. I would say, no, what's going to happen is companies that were barely making a profit no longer exist because they can't actually raise their prices. Because price is determined by demand, by, by demand, not by how much it costs them to produce. And they were already on the. They, there's so they're many barely making it. Small business entrepreneurs that just make enough money, and like all these uh, Tim Hortons franchises, like they're not. 
there's sure i'm sure there's some that make stupid money but i'm sure there's a couple in the middle of nowhere in the boonies that that just make a comfortable living allow them to pay their mortgage and live out in the middle of nowhere but oh now you have to pay your employees more but is tim hortons gonna it, it doesn't come off tim hortons bottom line because tim hortons tells all of their places here's what it costs you for your food inputs the only real control of cost that that uh, franchisee has is its wages which it ends up either cutting the wages or or what they do is actually as an entrepreneur you end up working more hours yourself and so your value is actually so you end up paying let's say you paid fifty thousand dollars in salary a year to three employees or two employees those employees still get the same pool of money they just have fifteen dollars an hour instead of ten dollars an hour so now they work a third one third less hours and you as you an pick entrepreneur up pick up the one third because you can still afford to pay them fifty thousand dollars you just can't afford to pay them the additional pay that they were getting so does it really help them no, no it doesn't it, well they get more leisure time but they wanted more money because they have more expenses so you started talking about the allowance i'm i'm all for raising the amount the first 25 grand of income is tax-free I mean, my, me, I'm very libertarian oriented. I'm, 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 my, the title of myself would be actually an anarchy capitalist. And that probably sounds a lot scarier to most people than it actually should. I, I think we'd, we'd have to unpack that on a, on another podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> Cause definitely. that, that is a weighty one. I mean, the simple way I explain it is that I think that everything the government does, we should evaluate whether the free market can do it. And most likely the free market will actually do it more cost effectively. I agree. So but the uh before I go down that rabbit hole as you said another conversation another podcast raising minimum allowance and and making flat tax right 15% tax everybody when you make over 25 grand i think the amount of work that i do and and many many professionals do on taxes is wasted in the sense that the amount of hours spent researching and communicating with government is a waste of time. So from a tax perspective, the tax funds, like the amount of effort that professionals have spending time filing taxes, completing the paperwork, we would, as an economy, would be better off allowing those professionals to free up that time and do something productive. Because the, the burden of doing taxes isn't creating wealth. We're just reallocating it. Nobody's, nobody's gaining wealth, right? Like I, I said, what's wealth creation? I wealth. was just going to say, what, let's, let's go back to what's wealth. Well, well, to me, wealth creation is if I can provide you a service more cost effectively or, or sorry, more efficiently, which is more cost effective, or meet your needs more effectively, I have provided you more value. And increasing your value on any given transaction is a creation of wealth. Yes. So if I was paying $5 for groceries a day and someone came along and did something to make it so my groceries only cost me $4 and nothing changed. Then I have... I created wealth for that individual. Because there's more discretionary income. Exactly. And entrepreneurs are rewarded for having that ability to create wealth by providing you more value at the same price or, or lower, lower price, price, lowering the price for the same good. And so essentially I have ex 
more value because I'm paying less and I can buy more things. But well, let's look at taxes. All we did was take a bunch of money that somebody else had. We put it in this big pot and then allocated it out. Where is the wealth creation? I don't see it. There isn't. I, and I, and I, I mean, before the election, I posted a, a challenge on Facebook. I was like, somebody, please give me one example where you, because I was like, I said, when I knew, when, when Wynn pulled the shoot and said she wasn't going to run or she was like, she was lost. Yeah. I was like, anyone thinking of voting NDP, please tell me one example where government creates wealth. And, and someone laid out a scenario about innovation, subsidizing innovation. And, and I walked, I think I, I read that post. Yeah. I don't know if you read the response though. Like I literally wrote an economics yeah. paper of, and I mean, I wasn't prepared to go out, walk through it and maybe, you know, we can talk about that on another episode. But the idea was like, the biggest thing is that if the tax funds are coming from a company who's already cr innovating and successfully innovating, now I'm allocating it to an R and D company who's never created a product to market yet or that, successfully created a market. How is that creating wealth? If anything, it's destroying wealth because I'm taking it away from the productive entrepreneur who's going to invest it in something we know is productive and giving it to the guy who maybe because he's a new company might create something productive. If that guy was really good at doing his job, that other company who's successful would either fund him or buy him and bring that staff on board because they actually provide a value. Free markets. Yeah, I'm I'm a free I'm a hard hardcore free market. So on that note, I don't know if we're wrapping up yet, but yeah, we're, for the, we're okay for the listener. If you want to challenge me on free markets, hit me up at tjoeln39 on Twitter, or you can hit us up uh, our, our uh, podcast page at Six Cents Report uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, thanks, Joel, for coming in today. I know this conversation is not what my listeners are usually accustomed to, but I thought we'd just um, throw in a wrench and make this a little different today. So um, it's good to be technical because I think the more we learn, the more we begin to understand how money works because a part of this conversation is really how mm -hmm. money works, how the economy works, how taxes work, how mm -hmm. I think it's important to have, even if it's a base knowledge of it, because it helps us make better informed decisions, which at the end of the day, I believe also helps us become better stewards. Yeah. So, well, I think for your listener, hopefully our conversation helps them perceive value and money, the connection. Right. Right. Because we touch so much on, on value and, and different and how we get to value, subjective value theory and those kind of things mm -hmm. that I think we, we perceive it without really knowing what it is we're perceiving and, 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 you know, the rationality of how do I determine my value? I make a decision and not realizing that I'm deciding, Oh, the value is worth the price. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why specialization is good. That's why professionals are good and having the right professionals you can trust around you, help, help you make better decisions and help your family make better decisions because i mean ultimately, ultimately this started as an estate planning series but um we're just about wrapping up but this does play a part into it so thank you very much for listening today and um you can find us on sacapital.ca slash podcast you can email us at podcast sacapital.ca on twitter sacapital canada on facebook sacapital advisors thank you for tuning in my name is shawani amy have an awesome day
Thank you so much for listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. You can find us at sacapital.ca slash podcast. And you can reach us at 1-888-365-8883, extension 377. Or send us an email at podcast at sacapital.ca. You've been listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Adeyemi. Thank you. Madden and Mitchell Media.